This morning, if you want to turn your Bibles, we'll be looking at uh, Matthew chapter 28. Uh, As Paul was pointing out, um, yesterday, Saturday, is a really dark day. If you're, if you're, oh, you're bringing it to me, great, thank you. Uh, It's a really dark day for the disciples. Thank you. Uh, They've watched um, or heard about Jesus' crucifixion. They, of course, knew it happened. And if you could put yourself in their place, we're not just talking about the death of somebody that you love, not just the death of somebody that, that you believed in, not just the death of, of somebody who you spent you know, three years following, but you're talking about the collapse of your belief system. That you thought this guy was going to take down Rome. You thought this guy was going to raise up Israel. You thought this guy was going to bring about the judgment of God. You thought this guy was going to bring about the resurrection of the dead. You thought this guy was going to restore everything. And now this guy is in a tomb of rock. He's gone. What's interesting is Paul is bringing it out. uh, Jesus told them again and again, I have to die and be in the grave for three days and, and, and arise on the third day. He told them that, according to the scriptures. Not only did he tell them that, but the prophets told them that. They should have known this all the time. But the women go to the tomb this morning, resurrection Sunday morning, to do what? Do you remember? Prepare the body. What did they expect to find in that tomb of rock? Not the promise, not the risen Savior, not Jesus in his glorified form, not not the hope that they were longing for. They expected to find a corpse. And they brought all the ointments with them, all the ointments to prepare it, just as they would have done for any other loved one. But then something incredible happens, something miraculous happens, something that has shaken the world for the last 2,000 years happens Matthew 28, verse 1 says this Now, after the Sabbath, which would have been the Saturday, right? Toward the dawn of the first day of the week today, Mary Magdalene, the other Mary, went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord had descended from heaven and had rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, his clothing white as snow, and the fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. And the angel said to the women, do not be afraid. For I know that you have come to seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has, what church? Risen. Risen. Risen as he said. Come, see, see the place where, where he lay. And go and tell the disciples quickly that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee, and you will see him. So they departed from the tomb with fear and great joy. And I feel like that's got to be an understatement. Because if I heard thunder, if I saw an angel sort of... And how nonchalant is that? He like rolls a stone back and hops up on top of it. What's up? You know, like it just like, it just seems so like such a bizarre thing to do. Like this is so nothing for God, for God to raise Jesus, for God to kick back this. I mean, this is a, we're not just talking about like a little stone. I mean, this is like, this is like boulder sized stone. Took a couple of guys to push it up. The angel just rolls it back and hops up on top. And, And to say fear just seems so small because I wouldn't be afraid. I would probably have wept 
sweat this general area, right? This is terrifying. This is terrifying. And not only is it terrifying to see this divine sight, but for him to say, look in here and see where he lay, because they were there when he was laid in there, and they look inside, and what's there? Nothing. Nothing. And so the terror has got to be there, but then along with that, this like, wait a second, and I can just, I can just hear them, I don't know if they're full tilt sprinting, but that's what I'd be doing, like, you're running, you're running to find those disciples, and they're got to be yelling back, what is that? And, and maybe they're remembering and saying, oh, well, didn't he say like he was gonna, he was gonna do something like this? Like he was gonna raise the third day and didn't, and they're talking back and forth. This incredible, this incredible, poss- is it possible? Could he possibly be alive? And Paul was right to point out, man, we're harsh on these disciples, aren't we? We're so harsh on them. Uh, you know, of course Jesus said it, but, but when they heard Jesus speak these words, I'll die, I'll rise, and this is what they all believed. They all knew they were going to die. Not, is anybody here surprised? Like, you're going to die. That's not news, right? Everyone knew that was coming for everyone. And they knew that everyone would rise on the last day. This is the message of, uh, of, just, of, of the scriptures in general. And so what they had done with Jesus' words is they had stuck them in the future. Like, yeah, that will happen someday, Jesus. Someday that'll happen. They just didn't think it was going to happen now. And then that happened to all of us, though. How often do we read the scriptures and the scriptures say, hey, get your, right, your life right with God now. And you say, tomorrow. He says in the scriptures, love your enemy. And you say, well, okay, I'll do that once I'm safe. We read these texts over and over again, these things that tell us right now, you need to put this into your life. You need to put this into your practice. And we say, well, yeah, Jesus, I'll care about the poor, the widow, the orphan, the oppressed, the earth. I'll worry about that later so don't be too hard on them and as they're on that full tilt sprint toward the disciples verse 8 or verse 9 and behold look see this happens jesus met them and said greetings again like just (laughs) yes thank you yeah so what's up guys (laughs) Because again, what is it for God to raise the dead? They came uh, up and took hold of his feet. They just, they fell at his feet and they worshiped him. And remember, what did we read in verse eight? What, what were they running with? What was the emotions they were feeling? Fear and great joy. <clears throat> and what does Jesus say to them in verse 10? Do not be afraid. Take all that fear that you've got. And some of you came into church today with some fear. I don't know what your fear is. Maybe it's a fear of tomorrow. Maybe it's a fear for your children or your family or your marriage or, or your own life or your health or your job. I mean, we all have the fear, don't we? You're all afraid of something. Take that fear, put it away. But that great joy, hang on to it. Do not be afraid, but instead go and tell my brothers in Galilee, I'll meet them there. I'll meet them there. This is the moment that, as Paul pointed out in his communion meditation, splits time. We measure time by Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. B.C., before Christ, A.D., in the year of 
our Lord. In fact, we, our society has moved, and now we call it uh, BCE, before the Common Era, and CE, after the Common Era, except for what? We're still using the same time frame. We're just calling it something different so we don't offend people, right? But what does this mean? This means that, that, that this moment has so shaken the world that even time itself is wrapped around this story of Jesus and this thing we call resurrection, this thing that we see happening in this text, this is the most central doctrine. This is the thing you can't not believe. Like This is the thing that, that makes you a Christian is for you to say, Jesus Christ has risen today. It is, of course, also the most unbelievable part of our religion. Like, let's be honest about it. I mean, you've all been to, everybody been to a funeral? Yes? And you've all, anybody ever seen Somebody get up. Like, we've never seen that. Like, let's be honest about that. That's, that's kind of a, a hard thing to believe. And I, I, we, should, we, should be, we should be upfront about this issue. But um, any of you ever seen Plato or Aristotle or Socrates? Do you believe he, he existed? Right. We only have books that, we only have like one book for each one of them. Right? But what do we see in the scriptures? Books written across vast areas of space. In, in the ancient Near East, and we have groups of people who are together in different places, all telling the same story, all correlating the same thing. We read Acts, and what does it say? Again and again, Luke says, and we have witnesses, and we have witnesses, and we have witnesses. And what does Paul say in 1 Corinthians? Some of these guys are alive, you can go talk to them, right? And they list the names at the end of the book. Like, you have, you have all of this manifested evidence of people who saw and believed. It's amazing. It's amazing. You know, everything... Um, Everything that we believe is mediated. Stop and ask somebody on the street, do you believe in evolution? Almost always you'll get a yes. Ask the question, why? Well, because my professor said it, because I read it in a book. Did you ever test anything? Have you ever seen anything? So, I mean, I'm not trying to make a statement about whether evolution is true or not true. That's a different controversy we can argue about some other time. But the point is, no one that you meet that believes in that theory or believes in that thing has ever touched it themselves they've simply been told it you've never touched aristotle you never read his word like but we believe it the same thing is true in the scriptures the scriptures are truth and we have more evidence more manuscripts more witnesses more believability than most of what we have for the ancient world it's incredible the amount of evidence that we have to say jesus christ arose from the grave but i want to focus this morning instead of just the apologetics of the whole issue, to focus on what Paul says um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He says, if there is no resurrection from the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and our faith is in vain. Which means that if you, if you read the stories of Jesus, there are some people who want to say Jesus is a good teacher, like you know, the golden rule. You all learn the golden rule in school. And yet, they never said, this is what Jesus taught us. You know, love God, love people. We can kind of grab a hold of some of the things that Jesus says. And, and, and we could say, well, those things are really good. But Paul says, listen, all that stuff means nothing. It is meaningless. Your faith is in vain. You might as well hang it up and go home if it's not true that Jesus Christ rose from the grave. And so I want to speak to you believers this morning to, about why you should be excited. I walked in the door. Asya, where's Asya? Oh, she's, she's, I can talk about her all I want. Oh, she just came in. Huh? I don't need it. Well, let me talk about her before she comes in so that she can't stop me. 
When Asya comes in, she always like waves at me. She just says, you know, hi. You know, she's very, she's a wonderful lady. Wonderful Asya. <laughs> but I came in today, or she came in today, and she kind of gave me like, like an excited wave. And I was like, oh, well, yes. Hi. And she came up and shook me like vigorous. And she goes, Christ is risen. And I'm like, okay. All right. Yes. He's risen indeed. And she goes, in my country, she starts talking about all these things. She's just so excited about it. And, and I, I just, I was so moved by that because we should be just taking our hats off and throwing them. Like so excited. Who's got a hat on? There it is, Bobby. Throw it. No, she didn't throw it. No one listens to the preacher. I should have known this. We should be so thrilled by this. In fact, Paul says, listen, if, you, if this didn't happen, everything that I have sacrificed for, all of the, if, if the people that I've talked to have all lied to me, and I'm just, this is, this is meaningless. And I want to point out why today. I want to talk about three things that um, describe why it matters so much. Really, really do. There we go. Excellent. Thank you. Uh, Jesus' resurrection is part of our justification. And for those of you who aren't church folks and you're just visiting here today, uh, we just we just like to sound fancy. Justification is not really doesn't mean a whole lot. It just it just means, or it, it's not that hard to can um, get in your mind. It means basically there are two people who are uh, at enmity. They're enemies, and one is justified. Uh, if you offend your wife, what had you better do? Flowers, candy, uh, movies. What did you say? Oh, flowers, okay. You got red in the face. I thought you said something snarky. <laughs> yeah, you, you got to make peace with her. I, I've offended my wife more than once. And you, Baby, I'm sorry, I was wrong. You, just, you, you make it all, I mean, you tell the truth about how wrong you were to make peace so that you are justified, the relationship is righted, Okay. And this is what we're talking about, justified. That there is a wall between you and God naturally. That you are a sinner. Um, and that there, there's a break in that relationship. And something or someone has to make that right. And that's the message of this weekend. That through the cross and through the grave and through the resurrection, Jesus does that. And this is what this text is pointing out. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised Jesus from the dead who was delivered up for our trespasses, there's Good Friday, and raised for our justification, there's <clears throat> this morning. You see, then, that without the resurrection, the cross is incomplete. Now, it bothers me a little bit when we sing a lot about the death of Jesus, we sing about his, his atoning sacrifice, we think, sing about his blood, sing about all that sort of thing, and that's good, we should, that's important, that's necessary, but if we leave out the good news, and what's the good news? That Jesus is alive. That's the good news. Without that bit, all this other stuff, all the life of Jesus, all the teaching of Jesus, all the sacrifice of Jesus, all of that stuff, absolutely meaningless. It falls flat on its face. Because when the New Testament talks about the cross, in fact, as Jesus talks about the cross, it's not just about what he does to take care of sin, but what he is doing to demonstrate to you how you now live your life. What is the cross to Jesus? The cross to Jesus is his obedience to God. God says, I need you to do this to atone for the sin of my people. And Jesus says, I will do it. It's his giving up of himself, his self-giving love. He gives up of himself and puts it on a cross. And as Paul quoted uh, earlier today, what does he then say to us? Look at the cross and do likewise. Do likewise. So you are now to be obedient to God. You are now to give up your life for other people. 
sacrificing yourself. Now, listen, if you sacrifice your life for other people and you're a servant to the church, you're a servant to your family, maybe even you go so far as to give up your very life for someone else and all you do is die at the end of that story, well, who's that good news for? I mean, it's good news for the person you help, but it kind of sucks for you, right? I mean, you just gave up your life and what'd you get out of it? Nothing, nothing. In fact, the reason that justification is so important through the resurrection is that without resurrection, there's no victory. Jesus hasn't overcome his enemies. His enemies have overcome him. Evil, death, the devil, hell, all of that swallows up Jesus whole. And Jesus says, what? I'm out. He just bursts out of it and says, sup. (laughs) That's what Jesus does. Those chains which hold so hard to us don't hold hard to Jesus as it was written in the prophecies of the Psalms. Psalm 16.10, for you will not abandon my soul to the grave or let the Holy One see decay. So Jesus dies as an atoning sacrifice, but that's not the end of the story. The, the, the furthering of the story is that he defeats them all so that we can have justification. Now, justification also has to do with our standing before God because the scriptures are clear that you, I, every single person on the planet will stand before God and we'll have to make a case, we'll have to speak about, we'll have to defend our actions. And listen, you've got a lot of witnesses that are gonna stand up and say, Kristen wronged me, Eric wronged me, Michaela wronged me, red shirt guy wronged me. (laughs) Mike, I I didn't forget I was gonna pick on you. And all these people can stand up and, and Mike's going to say, yeah, yeah, that's, that's kind of true. I did all that stuff. And all the secrets and all of the skeletons and all the things that you thought no one knew about laid bare before all time. Everyone sees it. Everyone knows it. And you say, yeah, that's true. I thought that. I did that. I, I did. So you need some witnesses, don't you? You need some people on your side. In fact, in the Old Testament, the law was that if you were going to be uh, judged or if you were going to be acquitted, you need to have witnesses on your side at least two. And you know what? There's good news for you this morning because all you guilty, I know you, guilty sinners, but in judgment day, you have two witnesses. We read in Romans chapter 8, verse 16, says the Spirit, the Holy Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And Jesus, because he is not dead in the tomb, but he is alive, ascended to the right hand of the Father, he will be there to judge the living and the dead. And what does he say? He says, whoever acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge before who? My Father who is in heaven. So on judgment day, all of these people are going to stand up and they're going to say, Jordan wronged me. And I'll say, yeah, Jordan did. And all of my dark thoughts and all of my sin will lay before me. And God will say, did you think all that? Did you feel all that? Did you do all that? And I'll say, yeah, yeah, I did. A lot of witnesses against me. But then the triune God steps in and the Holy Spirit says, no, he belongs with us. And Jesus, the son, steps in and says, yes, he belongs to us. And God says what? You're forgiven. Man, that's good news, isn't it? That's amazing news. You are justified and made right before God, not just through the cross, but through the resurrection because the living Breathing, Jesus Christ can stand next to you and say, no, he belongs with us. And the father says, if my son, if my son claims him, then he's mine. Come on in. The second thing is that there is now no fear in death. There is no fear in death. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 through 15 says this. Since therefore the children, that's us, share in flesh and blood, that's, that's this, 
He himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who, th- who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. The question of why did Jesus take on flesh is a, is a big one. Why, why, did, why did God uh, come and take on the human nature I'm creating a hypostatic union, being fully God and fully man, and walk this earth and experience uh, sickness, um, pain, heartbreak, death. Why would he experience all of these things? We read in Hebrews chapter 4 that part of it is, is for this magical word, empathy. You ever had somebody who could empathize with you? Not just say, well, yeah, I'm really sorry that you went through that, but can say, I have been there. I know exactly what you are going through. And you're like, you do. And there's just, there's like a bond. There's like something about that. Now, what could God, God who is, by definition, just absolutely other than we are, what could God know about human nature? I mean, he could know about human nature, but he could never empathize. He could never sympathize. He could never have known what it's like to feel hungry and to need to eat, for instance. But when he takes on human flesh... Jesus knows it all. In fact, he knows the worst thing that you could possibly go through. He knows what it is like to die. Not just to die, but to be beaten, to be scourged, to be spat upon, to be mocked, to be stripped naked and punched and humiliated and nailed to a cross. He knows what it's like to die a painful, suffering death. So that whatever suffering you're going through, whatever, whatever pain you feel like you're experiencing, whether it's emotional or maybe it's physical, whatever it is that you are enduring, Jesus Christ has endured it first. So when you pray to him, he says, I know. I know. I know. But beyond that, I want to point out this, that he has removed what? The fear of death. Because As I talked about Friday, we are terrified of death. How many pills would we take? How many doctors would you see? How much money would you spend? How far would you travel? Of course, we would do all that. In fact, I would go one step further. How afraid of looking old are you, ladies? How much uh, wrinkle cream is in this room today? Gentlemen, how much hair dye? Some of you, not a whole lot there, Dwayne, but it's okay. I still... I mean, we're we afraid of looking old. That's how afraid of death we are. We spend millions, millions of dollars on these products and on all of this to stave off death, to stave off looking old, to stave off all of that, all of that stuff. And yet the scriptures say, why are you afraid? Why are you afraid? They run away from the tomb With fear and great joy, and Jesus shows up and he says, don't be afraid. You see me? What does death have to say to us? What does death have to say to us now? In fact, death is the only thing that the world can hold over you. It's what the strong hold over the weak. It's what the unrighteous, the wicked hold over the righteous. Jesus says, blessed are the persecuted. Now just stop there for a second. The Greek word there is mercurios which we use the word blessed, but is really probably literally translated as happy. Happy. Y'all know what it's like to be happy? Yes? Not a donut coma here. Yes? Yes, we know what it's like to be happy. Now, I know that none of you know what it's like to be persecuted. Maybe some of you know what it's like to be bullied, to be treated poorly, to have a nagging spouse. (laughs) 
Uh, that wasn't in my notes. We know what it's like to have a bad day or to run into a person that's unpleasant. We have no idea what it's like to be persecuted. Persecuted means you get crucified. Persecuted means you get beat up. Persecuted means you can't buy, you can't sell, you have to hide. Persecuted means you live in fear. And yet Jesus says something really, really odd. Blessed, happy are the persecuted. Wrap your mind around that for a moment. Why are the persecuted happy? Because he says, they receive eternal life. He says, they have the kingdom of God. Because what do the persecutors hold over the persecuted? Death. And what does Jesus do in the resurrection? He defeats. This morning, while we worship quite freely, free of persecution or fear, our brothers, our family... Across the world is not so um, lucky, not so blessed. They don't experience that. Right now in ISIS-held territories, there are churches that are meeting in secret. Right now in China, there are churches that are meeting in secret. They're, they're, they, can't, they can't publicize what they're doing because if they do, they'll go, they'll go to jail. They'll be beaten. They'll be killed, especially with this whole ISIS, radical Islam thing. And I, I hear a lot of pundits talking. It's very interesting to listen to pundits talk, isn't it? And politicians and all that stuff. A little more, de- more Republican than Democrats talking about this issue. But the way that they talk about this issue is very interesting to me. Because they speak about these Christians as though they're losing the battle. Like, we've got to get over there, and we've got to protect these guys, and we've you know, we got to kill ISIS because they're killing these Christians, and we've got to, we've got to save these guys because they're the losing side. They're the ones that need protection. They're the ones that are in fear. Go ahead and fire up that next slide there, Brian. What do we see here? Do you see victims or do you see victors? Show the next slide. What do you see here? Do you see a victim or do you see a victor? Now, certainly, there is victimization going on here. Certainly, there is oppression. Certainly, there is evil. And all of that is falling upon both of these groups of people. And yet, what does the cross teach us? It teaches us that this is not loss. That this has been defeated. That, that all of this evil that is pouring out upon the world, that, that death doesn't have the final say. In fact, death has little to no say at all because Jesus defeated death. So no matter what you're going through, whether it's a broken family, whether it's a broken heart, whether it's a broken body, whether it's persecutors who are coming to kill you, you fear nothing because of Jesus. That's something to celebrate, isn't it? That's a reason to take your hat off and throw it. <laughs> Not yet. I'll get her by the end. She'll throw it. I promise you. This will happen. Jesus defeated death so that those of us who have lived in fear of it, who have been afraid of it, who have done everything we can to skirt it, to escape it, to, to not stand out, to, we don't have to fear it anymore. Man, that's good news. The next thing I want to talk about is uh, that we'll get to be like him. So we've seen that he has justified us in his life, his death, and his resurrection. We've seen that by justifying us and making us right with God, and by defeating death, he has allowed us to no longer be afraid of that one thing that everybody is so afraid of, death itself. He's liberated from it, us from it. 
But not only that, he is going to bless us in a way that allows us to be like him. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21 say this, but our citizenship is in heaven. That is, it's kept with God. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like, a glory, to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. It's good news. I want to look at this in three, in three places, in three points. The first one is that this means that there's going to be physicality to our life. Uh, post-resurrection, once we're resurrected, when we see Jesus resurrected, what does he do? He says to Doubting Thomas, I'm not a ghost. Touch my hands, right? Touch my side. He eats breakfast with, the, with, John, or with Peter and the other disciples. He, he meets the, the women and they fall at his feet and they touch him. He's, he's, he's all about this, like, touch me. See that I'm real. I'm alive. I'm, I'm just like you. Like, I, I, like, <clears throat> I like eating. So do all y'all, because I saw you mowing down in the sweet waters we brought. We like to eat. We like to feast. And one of the metaphors that's most often used to describe that kind of moment when we come into the kingdom of God as, as the redeemed is a feast called the wedding feast of the lamb, the feast of Abraham. Communion is kind of a foreshadow of that feast. Like there's this description that we're going to be with the saints. You're going to be with Peter and, and, and John and Abraham and Moses and Jesus at the head of the table and all of those who have gone before, those faithful Christians that have poured into you that we've laid to rest. Grandma June, um, you know, we're, we're going to be sitting around a table with with these people, and we're going to be eating like the best pizza you've ever had. It's going to be amazing. There's physicality to that, and that's good news because some of y'all have it in your mind that you're going to like flit around in heaven with wings and a harps with like Wiley e. Coyote. Not how it works, right? Not how it works. The dead are raised, and when they go to the tomb, what do they find? Nothing, because the dead are raised. There's physicality. There, the new heavens and the new earth. If you think about it like this, life is really good. Life is beautiful. It really is. I know that some of you are struggling with darkness and things that are, that are broken down, but there's a lot of beauty in life, and there's a lot more. Um, when you turn around and you start to look for it, start to look for glory, ask God to show you wonder. Just that, make that a prayer. God, show me something wonderful today, and he will. Usually it's with my daughter. Um, that's after, usually, I yell at her for being naughty, right? So there's, there's both of those things. But show me wonder. Life is wonderful and beautiful. And what we see in Jesus is that all of that is wonderful and beautiful continues on. And what we see in Jesus also is that all that is death and destruction and disease and breaking down and all that stuff, that, that goes away. And so with this new heaven and new earth and a new body, everything is restored in its, in its, in its physicality, but it is also eternal, right? It doesn't break down. It doesn't fall apart. There's no entropy here. It, it continues on because it is sustained by the presence of the living God. There's no darkness. There's no death. All of that is seen in this resurrection. And the reason that we're told about the resurrection in these three, in these four gospels, and they narrate that for them, and then it's reiterated by Paul and the other apostles in the letter, is so that if you can catch a glimpse of Jesus in his eternal glory, then you have some small idea of what it will be like when you experience his glory. And it can encourage you and lift you up and help you push on through your life. I like the way this is put um, uh, in Philippians chapter 3. It says, like his glorious body. Now, I've been around for a little while. 
and I've met a lot of people, but nobody has looked at me and said, man, you are glorious. It's happened a little more since I grew the beard. The beard gets some attention, but the rest of me, it's your average at best. Like, you know, um, when they see Jesus, they see glory. And I, I like that, that word glory because what glory means is it's so cool, I can't describe it. Like that's, that's what glory means. It's so great. I have, I don't, I don't, what do we call this thing? I don't know. I guess we call it glory. Second Corinthians says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has planned for those who love him. So whatever your eye has seen that you say, man, that's beautiful. God's got more in store for you. Whatever you have heard, you said, man, that's lovely. God has more in store for you. Whatever you can conceive of in terms of your own life, God has more in store for you. And all of that is evidenced in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's good news. That's a reason to celebrate. That's a reason to throw your hat. Hey. Thanks, Miles. That's a reason for us to be excited today. That's a reason for us to rejoice today. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has planned for those who love him. He's going to transform us, our lowly, broken down bodies. And he is going to clothe us, not only with his righteousness, not only with his forgiveness and his joy and his peace and his patience and kindness, but with a body, a body that lives forever. What do we do with that? I like to conclude with like, hey, you should go and, and do this kind of thing. It, it, go do something, go share Jesus or, you know, go be holy or whatever. Um, I want to leave today, well, we're actually going to not leave today. We're going to sing a few songs because what we want to do today, and what I want to leave you with today is a really simple bit of instruction. Worship God. Like, worship God. Be excited, be happy, share this with everyone around you because this is amazing. When, when, when the women finally see Jesus, what do we see them do? They, fall, they just fall on their faces and they worship him. When we see Jesus again in the kingdom of God, all of the elders in Revelation, we read this in Revelation 5, all these elders and all of these divine beings and everything that is in heaven. And if you can imagine for just a second how cool and powerful and wonderful and, and awesome all of these creatures, that whatever it is that exists all in the, around the throne of God, and the Bible gives us some glimpse of them, but all of them fall down on their faces before Jesus and they sing a new song saying, worthy are you to take up the scroll, to open its seals for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and every language and every people and every nation and that you have made them, you have made y'all a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign in the earth. I want you to celebrate that today. I want you to take that out when you go, go to lunch. Eric Dush and I were uh, out to lunch not too long ago, and we were, we were talking. And if you've ever had lunch with, it, with Eric, you know that any conversation that you have in public becomes quickly a public conversation. It just sort of, everyone hears it. We're talking about church stuff, and you know we're just we're just conversing, and we're just we were being very natural. Like there was, there was nothing, there were no errors being put on for the sandwich shop that we were in. We had this lady come up to us and and say, "I'm just so thankful," uh, and we're like, "Okay, 
great. What, what, what for? Like, we're really confused with this. I've never seen her before. And, and she said, just, you, are you guys Christians? Because I heard you talking about Jesus and church and things like that. And we're oh, yeah, yeah. And she starts telling us her story. And she's been going through a, a messy divorce and some, some other things going on. And she just starts, like, confessing to us all these things. And Eric and I are like, well, can we, can we pray with you? Uh, you know, invite her to church, of course. But can we just pray with you right here and now? And so in some sh- sandwich, I don't even remember where it was, but uh, we prayed f- for this woman. Um, and, and that's worship, right? God sees that, and he says, man, that's my children giving me, giving me glory and honor. And, and, and I, want, I want you to leave here today not with, like, a sense of conviction, but a sense of saying, man, God has done so much for me. He has risen Jesus Christ so that he could ransom us to himself and make us priests, make us his kingdom, that we could be with him forever. And I just want you to rejoice I just want you to be happy. I saw a quote today. This is where the hat-throwing thing comes on. From N.T. Wright, who said, why, you know, why don't people believe in the resurrection? Because we don't take our hats off and throw it in celebration. I mean, why don't they believe in the resurrection? Because they look at the resurrected people, the people who aren't afraid of death, the people who are, who are justified before God, the people who have a promise to be glorified like Jesus, and they're not, they're not excited, they're not shouting, they're not singing his praises, they're not talking about all that he has done for them around the table in the sandwich shop. Like, pour out your joy. Pour out your joy. Worship in your car so loud that the person next to you says, that person's crazy. I don't know what's going on over there. Be so loud in the sandwich shop that they say, man, these people, they must really love this crazy guy, Jesus. I don't even know what this is all about. Be so full of joy that you transform your life and the lives of those around you. Because we have a whole lot to be joyful about. Right now, we're going to close down the service. Um, We're going to sing a couple of extra songs because we just wanted to spend some time as a family of God, standing up and shouting as loud as we can the praises of our God. Maybe shake the walls and disturb the Jehovah Witnesses. We'll see what happens, right? (laughs) See what happens. So please stand with me. We're gonna sing praises to our God. Um, We're gonna sing a couple songs and then we'll, we'll close with prayer.